Welcome, everyone, to another edition of BAMS Radio here on this Sunday, October the 21st, 2018. I'm Drew Arman, your host, along with, of course, Thomas uh, Watts, the wizard behind the curtain. He's the co-host of the show, also the producer extraordinaire. And our third amigo is with us, as always, a noted insider and, of course, former member of the Alabama Crimson Tide, a national champion and who was with the Crimson Tide from 1989 to 1993, uh, and uh, we always enjoy our conversations with William Redfish Barger. William, uh, you experienced this series up close, played in some very mem- memorable games in the series, including the 1999-6 that was Gene Stallings' first, in, which led to a nice run for the Crimson Tide over the Tennessee Vols. We've also seen uh, Tennessee go on runs in the series, but we saw some history on Saturday afternoon into the early evening as Alabama, for the first time ever, has beaten the Vols 12 straight, 58-21. to 21, And in some ways, it wasn't even as close as that score would indicate. Once again, no Tua Tungvaloa for at least a quarter and a half. We saw Jalen Hurts. He had a nice touchdown drive, uh, overcoming an interception, which wasn't all his fault. Uh, and then also, uh, we saw a, a new punter for the Crimson Tide, Mike Bernier, and uh, Bernier, he only hit, uh, Alabama only had to punt twice, and this is a football team that's not going to punt a lot. But I still thought, uh, you know, perhaps Alabama's found uh, someone if, you know, they have to punt the football in red stick, that they won't be as much nervous energy. And uh, he, it wasn't, you know, he didn't J.K. Scott the ball, but 41 yards a punt. And with this football team and how little they have to do that, uh, I thought that was huge as far as finding someone to do that with consistency against Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, you know, if a young man's able to come out there, you know, with no, you know, zero game experience and, and you know, average more than 40 yards a punt, that's certainly a positive. You know, I think you would, you know, have to kind of lump that in there with, uh, you know, the um, Deontay Brown replacing mm, uh, a great point. two and a half year starter at left guard, um, you know, despite the fact that uh, there was a, an in house suspension that was involved. Um, it was great seeing Josh Jacobs finally get acknowledged, and, and uh, who, in my opinion, is our best running back, and I thought he, you know, showed why on Saturday. You know, when you factor in what he brings to the table, not only as a running back, but also as a receiver out of the backfield and what he brings to the table on special teams, I think he's one of the most unheralded players on this team. And, and uh, you know, and, and, of course, being a former offensive lineman, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed the rampage that Gary Danielson went on uh, <laughs> yesterday, um, you know, talking about just how much time, uh, you know, Tua actually has to scan the field and make some of those great throws that he does. Um, you know, for people that don't know this, um, if you if you don't – if you're if you if as an offensive lineman if you hold your guy away from the quarterback and they don't touch the quarterback between 2.5 and three seconds on on a play you get a plus on the play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know there there's multiple times out there Saturday that Tua had between four and six and a half seconds to scan the field and make some of those great throws, which leads me to my next point. Um, you know I, I don't think I've ever seen, uh, at least at Alabama, maybe this has taken place at other schools, but. You know, you could make an argument that Alabama has the best offensive tackle tandem in college football. Um, both Jonah Williams and Jedrick Wills are grading at 90% or higher um, through the first uh, eight games, zero sacks, zero quarterback pressures. Um, you know, Jedrick leads the team in knockdown blocks, at least going into the Tennessee game. I haven't had a chance to see what the grades were for that one. So, you know, there's a 
a lot of great things going on, um, you know, with this football team this year. Certainly, too, is getting the most attention, and understandably so. Um, you know, he's going to have to have some sort of injury or a, a, a major meltdown to uh, not win the Heisman, in my opinion. But, you know, you've got, you know, a guy that this time last year was a backup player that some people think now is the best defensive tackle in college football and, and Quinn and Williams. And, and also, too, when Alabama lost their two best edge rushers this past summer and uh, no, Tim Williams, geez, um, Terrell Lewis and uh, Chris Allen, you know, who would have thought that a kind of a heavy-legged defensive tackle named Isaiah Bugs would end up leading the SEC in sacks through the first eight games? So, um, you know, there, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, Coach Cool's some sort of D-line whisperer. I mean, I'm just blown away with what he's been able to do with some of those guys up front. Well, William, before we uh, talk about uh, some of the other aspects of this team and how they've – and some individual performances and how they uh, stepped up, now that we've come to the bye week, uh, I just uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, about Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, I, we've talked about it in ad nauseum, but I, I never would have thought, in, even in my wildest dreams, and how good I've told people he could be, that it seems kind of absurd to look at his stats and look at 25 touchdowns and no interceptions and with the yards per attempt he has. Now, I know he's been fortunate. There could have been two, three, four interceptions, depending on how the ball bounced. But still, when you look at those numbers, it's pretty absurd. Well, even if he had thrown six or seven interceptions, you know, when you look at the explosive plays that he makes, um, you know, it's like we talked about this on this show um, after this game last year, um, you know, when he threw the, the, the bad pick six down there on the goal line, you know, that there was a you know 14-point swing in the game. Look how he responded after that bad play. Uh, and that's how I've always judged a player. Yeah, everybody's going to get beat. And, you know, I don't care, you know, who you are. Um, you know, you're going to, you know, as much as I'm, you know, glowing over Jedrick Wills and Jonah Williams, their they're toughest assignments and competition is still out there in front of them, probably not until the month of December or January when they get into the playoffs. But um, it's how a player responds. You know, I don't care what you play. Um, you're going to get beat. You know, a guy's going to, you know, uh, be just as good on a, on a play or better than you are, and it happens. It's part of the game. It's how you respond to that. Um, you, know, you know, a guy that, a lot of people have banged on, you know, throughout the course of this season, you know, is Mac Wilson. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the way that guy took ownership for the lack of communication and him not playing up to the program standard, um, you know, prior to the Missouri game and the way he's responded, um, I mean, that's what a leader does. And the fact that he's able to go out there and get the most out of his ability that he's gotten this season with a broken foot, um, you, you'll never hear me criticize him about anything because he's, he's giving it all for the, for the team, and that's, that's what you want in a teammate. So, you know, there's just so many accolades that we can talk about. And, um, you know, the, the, you know I, I don't know. I don't, I don't watch a lot of other football games outside of the SEC. I mean, is there three or four other tight ends in college football that are that much better than Irv Smith? If they are, I haven't seen them. <laughs> Yeah, that's another great you know, point. It's, it's just, you know, here we are halfway through the season, and, and the true freshman quarterback, Patrick Sertain, still hasn't given up a touchdown pass. So, <laughs> yeah. there's, just, there's just phenomenal things going on. You know, of course, you know, nobody has seen this kind of production, especially with the explosive plays, um, you know, that two has been able to generate. But, you know, that, that's, you know, I wonder what he could do down there behind Auburn's offensive line with Auburn's wide receivers. I mean, it wouldn't be this. Yeah, that's a great point. He does have an outstanding supporting cast. 
But speaking of that, Cass, and you uh, brought it up at the start of the segment, but your thoughts just individually on the left guard, Deontay Brown, his first start. Certainly he had a couple of two or three plays he'd like to have back, but I thought uh, overall for his first start he did very well. And I th- I could see more you know uh, room, and I thought there was more power coming from that inside uh, running game. Uh, you know, because uh, Alabama's had a lot of trouble running uh, at times, uh, you know, uh, in between the guard and center. And I thought we could see a, a, some more movement with Deontay Brown at left guard. What were your thoughts? Well, you know, I don't just want to credit it to Deontay Brown. I mean, despite him being the strongest player on the team, you know, Alex Leatherwood is starting to come along, albeit probably not as fast as a lot of people would hope that he had. But you know, he's getting to where he's consistently starting to grade in the, the, the low to mid-80s, which is a, a big improvement over the first couple of games. Um, but, you know, when, you, when you've got two guys over there lined up next to each other, um, like Deontay Brown and Jonah Williams, I, I think Jonah's, you know, probably the second or third strongest player on the team. I mean, they, they mash people. They, you know, clear holes. You saw how much success. Um, both Najee Harris and Josh Jacobs have had the last two weeks running off of that left side. Um, albeit, you know, in the third and fourth quarter when the game's out of hand, but still, um, you know, I, I think the offensive line is, is, is better with 65 at left guard. You know, it's no secret that they've been flirting back and forth for the last year over, you know, finding a different solution over there at left guard. And, you know, maybe last year Deontay wasn't ready. And, um, you know, certainly, but, you know, half an hour had to come in. Um, you know, and, and play a little bit inside at the end of last year. But uh, I think he makes the offensive line better um, with his presence. And they're just so strong and powerful. You know, if he gets his hands on you, I'm sure you saw the, you know, the tweet from the Missouri game that Cole Kublik put out. You know, I'm not sure I've ever seen a one-handed pancake block before. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it was just amazing. And, uh, but, you know, you can go throughout the whole – you know, the whole team, every position group, you know, you, you lose Smitty. And, uh, you know, the true, best true freshman, well, I don't know, that Rondell Moore kid's pretty good at first. Oh, yeah, well, but, he was unreal, I yeah, think. But, but uh, you know, Waddle came in and, you know, just, you know, took off like a damn bottle rocket. So, um, you know, it, it's just a, it's amazing to watch because you're starting to see what I like to refer to as the Bammer fatigue. Um, you know, you've got the LSU fans crying about Devin White being ineligible for the first half next week. And, you know, the Red Elephant Club owns the SEC office. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the Georgia message board um, in the last 24 hours, you know, they have finally um, had to come to the reality that I've been trying to tell them since the national championship game. I don't care how many great recruiting classes Kirby puts together. The talent gap is massive, especially on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And uh, it, it, I get more enjoyment out of that, you know, watching all these other fan bases. You know, the, you know, the, the annual Urban Meyer meltdown last night. Um, you know, we, we all remember in, in the spring of, of 2015 when, when everybody thought that Urban Meyer not only had passed Nick Saban, but had passed him bigly. Um, you know, since that time, he's averaged losing a game every year by 30 points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nick Saban's never lost one by more than 14. So, um, it's interesting because you see, you know, some of these programs, you know, Georgia last year, Ohio State, um, to, to a lesser degree, Clemson, um, that, that think they've, you know, not only arrived to the, the top of the mountain, but, but they've knocked the king off. And, uh, you know, it, it'll be a huge, huge 
um, upset if Alabama doesn't show up for their four straight national championship appearance this year. Well, and uh, I, I think you bring up some outstanding points, and uh, certainly nobody enjoyed it more than me to watch the Urban Liar get the hell beat out of him again by an unranked team, you know, 49 to 20, a team, as I rightly tweeted out, that lost to Missouri, everybody. They lost to Missouri at home on that same field that they beat Ohio State by 30. Uh, and I just let's, and let, hey, let's don't forget last year when I when a four or five loss Iowa team yep. had 55 on. Yeah, and they'll tell <laughs> you that the most Nick Bozer. yeah they'll tell you when they're the, the most talented team in the country and why are they that you're not in because you're not consistent. Okay, you don't show up every day. I mean, Bleacher Report stupidly had. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Dwayne Haskins ahead of Tua in the Heisman race. Even though when you look at their stats, even after last night, monster game by Haskins, but he throws the clinching pick six. He throws for a lot of yards, but he's only thrown for 800 more than Tua and only five more touchdowns. And Tua hasn't played in the fourth quarter yet, come, not even come close. So, you know, I just I just think some of it's a joke and some of it's uh, trying to get conversations started. But as usual, Ohio State, along with Notre Dame, you in and you're out. Most overrated team in the country. Uh, had most of the time they don't live up to it. Uh, you got to give Dabo Sweeney credit. He's owned Urban Meyer lately. Urban Meyer's a great football coach, but he's not Nick Saban. He never will be. And I'm sure mysteriously there'll be some kind of illness or a situation off the field where he thinks he needs to quote unquote handle, uh, and he'll probably step away from coaching again soon after uh, this blow up this year at Ohio State. I mean, who knows? It's hard to say with Urban, but he always seems to wear out his welcome wherever he goes. But uh, we'll see, you know, what happens with that going forward. But certainly, uh, you know, Alabama handled their business in Knoxville. And, you know, and I thought uh, Jeremy Pruitt's team played the right way. I thought they played hard. Uh, They were overmatched. I'll be honest with you, though, William. I don't know what your thoughts are on this. But after seeing Keller Christ and what he did against Alabama, I'm not really sure why Jeremy hasn't played him more uh, and giving him more of a shot. I know that, you know, uh, you know, certainly Garantano, uh, Jared Garantano played well against uh, Auburn, but he's been inconsistent. And Chris was a former five-star quarterback whose really injuries derailed him at Stanford. But I was impressed with the kid against Alabama secondary yesterday. I thought he threw the ball well. And I'll be interested to see what Jeremy does going forward as he tries to get this team into a bowl game. I totally agree with you about Chris, and, and, you know, I can remember when he transferred, um, a lot of the Stanford fans were saying that, you know, he had a dish rag for an arm. Um, You know, maybe I need to go get some new glasses and contacts, but it didn't look like he had a dish rag arm to me last night, and that's really probably the only time I've ever seen him play. But, yeah, I think now all of a sudden, uh, you know, you've got more than just one quarterback controversy in the SEC East. I think that's certainly something that – you know, JP and that Tennessee coaching staff is going to have to evaluate going forward. Plus, you know, we don't know. I mean, uh, you know, the way Mac, you know, uh, took him out yesterday, he may have a dislocated shoulder, a cracked collarbone. I don't know, but it was obvious that it was a serious injury. And uh, give, give Keller Chris credit, man, for coming off the bench. I have no idea how much I would imagine he probably hasn't played that much this year, as bad as their games have been. So give that young man credit for, you know, coming out there and playing at a high level. They got better as an offense once he was inserted into the lineup. They certainly did, William. They they did get better. And 
they, they made some plays. I thought Jennings, uh, he, he, he doesn't run exceptionally fast, but he's big and strong. And Jennings gave Alabama secondary some problems. He had as good a game as any we've seen uh, with a wide receiver. And it's been pretty remarkable how Jeremy and his staff have turned Jennings around and his attitude. Uh, he played with an edge yesterday. He'll certainly give them uh, you know, a weapon going forward, and uh, it looks like he's stepping up. Maybe he's that number one guy. Marquez Callaway didn't do a whole lot. Alabama was able to stop the run. And then I wanted to go back to another, uh, you know, uh, guy you were talking about, but Quinnen Williams. I mean, it seemed like he was in the backfield whenever he wanted to be uh, yesterday. Uh, I made this statement after watching him just continually, and I know certainly uh, Raekwon Davis is uh, – uh, you know, a profile helped him this year because Raekwon has been getting doubled some. But it's also, <laughs> Quinn is starting to be doubled. And Gary Damson uh, pointed it out yesterday. He's beating double teams sometimes with ease. Quinn Williams may be playing as well as any, you know, uh, uh, you know, defensive lineman Nick Saban's ever had. And that includes Jonathan Allen, who is tremendous. Quinn Williams right now, I, we're probably seeing the last season of, uh, for him in a Crimson Tide uniform. He has been uh, unbelievable. Yeah, he really has. And, and you know, it's, uh, again, and I think you're starting to see this in a lot of those front-line guys. I mean, uh, LeBron Ray, I thought, had his best football game yesterday. Um, a lot of people have been banging on him because he hasn't lived up to that so-called five-star billing. Um, but I thought he played very well when he was in. Um, you know, you're starting to see Johnny Dwight provide a lot of depth and production, Fidarian Mathis as well. Uh, but, you know, the, the next level technique that, that I've seen Coach Cool provide, um, you know, better use of the hands. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's almost when I watch Quentin Williams play this year, Drew, it's like watching Marcel Darius as a high school senior. And, uh, you know, it was, I remember telling Rodney Orr this because nobody even knew who he was when I first called Rodney Orr the summer before his senior year. He was a two-star recruit. And I said, man, you got to, you know, get your guy that does your stories to call this guy's coach. Um, it, it, you know, I realized he's playing against, you know, 225-pound offensive tackles in high school. But it looks like a whiplash victim in a car wreck when he, when he strikes them with their hands. And that's the same type of stuff you're seeing from Quentin Williams. You know, it's amazing to me. He actually looks quicker to me now at 300 pounds than he did as a high school senior when he was 260, 265. Um, you know, Isaiah Bugs is a better player this year than he was last year. And I think that's pretty obvious who you can, you know, credit that to. Um, and you're seeing it all over the field, Drew. I mean, uh, a guy that I was scared to death of two weeks ago, and I'm not saying this guy's going to make the – you know, the, the all-SEC team. But I think Jared Maiden's gotten better since the Texas A&M game. Um, still probably not where Nick Saban and Carl Scott wants him to be, but he, he's not a liability like he was early on in the season. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's the – to me, that's, that's what separates Alabama's program from everybody else is you get all these people, all these fans, that all they want to talk about for the last two years is Kirby Smart and recruiting all these five stars at Georgia. Um, you know, th these newspaper guys that do these rankings most of the time don't even know what they're looking at. You know, they had Quentin Williams rated the 17th best defensive tackle in the country, and he wasn't even a top 150 player. And <laughs> three short years later, uh, I know some people that think he's starting to push for being a top 10 draft pick. So, yeah. 
I'm not going to pay any attention to what all these other people say. I'm just going to sit back and let the greatest of all time keep doing my evaluations for me. And, well, and, and I mean, again, the, evaluate, the evaluation process is just half the battle. It's what you do with these cats once you get them on campus. And I think over the last 12 years, everybody knows who's the best at doing something with them once they get on campus. And another thing I remember, William, and he's hurt right now and really hasn't lived up the, to the billing, but when Bo Davis was here recruiting and they decided they wanted to flip Quinn and Williams from Auburn, and boy, what a boon that was, that Bo Davis thought the two best defensive tackles in the country were him and Rashawn Gary. That's right. Rashawn Gary was the only guy that Nick and Bo had rated ahead of Quinn. And, and, and you know, you, you could sit there and say that, you know, maybe they were right on that one. I mean, it's not like Rashawn Gary's been a disappointment at the mission. Right. Yeah, he's he's just been a little banged up. But uh, but then uh, now to kind of switch gears to Josh Jacobs, as you said, uh, Damien Harris really for the first time in his career that we know of uh, missed a start due to disciplinary reasons, and Josh Jacobs got the start. Uh, he was tremendous, I thought, uh, really set the tone on that first drive, running the ball physically. He reminds me a lot, William, of Mark Ingram uh, with the way he runs the football. and uh, But he also is the best all-around back. I mean, I certainly have been impressed with the catching and blocking of Damian Harris. But Josh Jacobs does it with even more ferocity. Uh, and then the, the, uh, the and what he's been able to bring is a kickoff returner. He's been a tremendous running back uh, for Alabama. And they actually, yeah, you're absolutely right. They didn't miss a beat with Josh Jacobs in the starting lineup, uh, you know, against Tennessee. And uh, just been really impressed with him overall and just his all-around game and his development. And that's another thing. The last two years, Josh wasn't healthy. He's been healthy this year, and you can see the huge difference. Yeah, and, you know, to me, you know, because you don't really see this a lot in running backs, and I'll agree with half of it but disagree on the other half. He's a lot faster top end than Mark Ingram. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he's got more breakaway speed, yeah. I'd be willing to bet he's a legit 4-4 guy. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But to me, the thing that makes me so attracted to him um, as a former offensive lineman, is he will absolutely light your ass up as a blocker. Yes, he will. Um, and, and, and also lower his shoulder when he has the ball, and he will run you over. And, uh, you know, I love seeing, you know, guys like that. Hell, he's another one, you know, like, like Quinnen Williams. I mean, um, now Quinnen had a lot, you know, more offers than Josh did. Uh, but I'll never forget you calling me at the 12th hour his senior year and sending me his film, and I was like, <laughs> I'll, I'll be more than happy to forward this on to uh, the powers to be. Um, you know, you, you got to almost kind of wonder if, if mis-evaluations like that didn't play a part in, in you know, Bob Stoops, uh, you know, stepping away from the head coaching job there at Oklahoma. When you've got somebody in your backyard that's that good, um, I just think he's a fantastic football player. If his body won't fail him, uh, because he does have such a low center of gravity, so powerful and you know powerfully built. You know that's a guy that can play football for years and years. Um, you know if his body will hold up, and you know I think he's a great teammate. Um, he, he kind of embodies to me, you know what Nick Saban's process is all about. Man, you come in, it doesn't matter if you were a two star or, or a five star. If you come in. You be a good citizen within that program and buy into the process, you're eventually going to get your chance to shine. And I thought yesterday getting that start was much more of a 
compliment to Josh Jacobs versus a negative on, on uh, Damian Harris. We all know Damian Harris is one of the leaders on the team, and I have no idea um, you know what, what team rule that he violated to uh, not get the start. But, again, at the same time, uh, this is why Alabama is the number one program in the country, and then it's everybody else. You know, uh, you know I don't know if Damian Harris will get drafted in the first round, um, next April, but he, he won't go far very deep in the second before he does. But when, when you can afford, you know, what would happen to Wisconsin if they lost Taylor? You're what right. would happen to Stanford, you know, if they lost their running back? You know, Alabama right, loses a guy like, you know, Damian Harris, and they don't miss a beat. But they may have gotten better. Yeah, it's, uh, it was, I think uh, you're right. No question that, uh, uh, that, uh, that Josh Jacobs was special uh, in his first start. Uh, at Alabama, and uh, I wanted to bring Thomas Watts into the conversation. Thomas, uh, just your thoughts uh, on t- on this Alabama-Tennessee game. Uh, I think you felt like Alabama was going to win this and win this easily. They certainly did that, uh, and uh, and the the biggest thing is I don't think they got anyone hurt, and now they have a bye week coming up uh, to get ready for LSU. Uh, and I, <laughs> it's just me, but I watched that Mississippi State LSU game. And it didn't scare me at all. I think the only way this Alabama team is going to be challenged is by a quarterback uh, that's elite, and I don't see either one of those guys as elite. Joe Burrow, to me, and Mississippi State's got a good defense. Let me first preface that. But Joe Burrow did not make many plays last night, not difference-making plays. Certainly, LSU has an outstanding defense and good special teams, especially at place kicker. Uh, But I think this Alabama team, uh, can go into red stick and win by double digits. What were your thoughts after you kind of saw Thomas, uh, Alabama, and Tennessee, and, and did you see much of that LSU-Mississippi State game? Well, w- talking about Alabama-Tennessee, y- you really have to tip your hat to Tennessee for rallying in the second quarter, and I believe Nick Saban even went so far as to say they caught us a little flat-footed. And then we were able to adjust on it, and Alabama hit the afterburners, and you know here we have fifty-eight twenty-one. But it, it to me it was kind of more of the same that we've come to expect from Alabama. And the question becomes, fast forwarding to LSU, what's it really going to take to slow this offense down? I would argue that you have to have absolutely elite talent at all three levels of the defense. And LSU's secondary is second to none in college football. And Devin White is a fantastic middle linebacker that won't be available due to a targeting call for the first half. But I've never been blown away with how the LSU defensive line is played. I think they're good, but I don't think... You know, they're not setting the world on fire. So that gives me major pause talking about LSU. But, you know, just to circle back to Tennessee briefly, the defense continues to round into form. Uh, you know, since the 31 points given up to Arkansas a few weeks ago, we've seen Alabama shut down a good Missouri offense, a very efficient Missouri offense. And even though Tennessee's offense is doesn't doesn't have the horses to really push the Alabama defense, when you see something like that, that means you put the clamps on them. And Alabama's defense, particularly in the first quarter and in the third and fourth as well, put the clamps on that offense. So, you know, Alabama's doing what Alabama does. There's some 
some unpleasantness as new pieces sort of find their way in the Alabama scheme, both offensively and defensively. But because of the development of this staff, and quite frankly, Drew, if Mike Loxley's not in a barroom brawl for the Broyles Award, the award has absolutely no value to me anymore. But the development of these players under this staff, as it itself is developing because there's so many new parts, has kind of fallen to the Bama standard. And, you know, talking about LSU, and we obviously are going to have another show about this, and I'll do some deep film dives because uh, I just turned in my prospectus, so I'm going to not be working at school as much. But uh, talking about LSU, this team is the exact same team that Les Miles would put out there. You know, is is Joe Burrow's name Joe Burrow, or is it Danny Etling? Or, you know, is it a less athletic Jordan Jefferson? They're the same guy to me. Uh, LSU's offense, everybody wants them to run pro-style stuff because it's Steve Ensminger being the offensive coordinator, and that's what they do. But show me a pro-style scheme that has really taken it to Alabama in the past five years. I'll grant you maybe Georgia in the first half of last year's national championship game, but LSU would absolutely kill for a large portion of Georgia's personnel off that offense. So I think Alabama's going to keep rolling. I've, I've been off the LSU train since the season started. I've refused to get on the train as they've posted victories, and I'm not going to get onto it now. Because I think Joe Burrow absolutely hates a gap pressure. And one of the things you saw in the Florida game is once Joe Burrow got knocked off his spot by those really good Florida defensive ends, Joe Burrow folded like a cheap tent. Well, for the stats nerds out there, Alabama leads the SEC in sacks. That came up in the the little thingy uh, when Alabama sacked, I believe, Garantano and Mac Wilson knocked him out of the game. So... If Alabama can sort of get Burrow off of his spot, I expect him to fold like a cheap tent. But, you know, overall, the weekend, another big win. Uh, There might be a picture floating around on Twitter of me smoking a victory cigar, but I will neither confirm nor deny such things. And now Alabama gets a chance to get healthy and go into red stick. And I think they're going to really, I think they're going to rock LSU's world. The game's going to be really, really hyped, and we're going to finally get a chance to see what this Alabama team looks like when you have their full attention and it's not, you know, the process, blah, 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 but you have their attention and they need to play their A game. So that's what I'm excited for in a couple of weeks, Drew. Well, Thomas, and, uh, I, you know, I'm excited as well. And uh, bring to bring William back into the conversation, I want to see this team get challenged. And, uh, I, you know, Red Stick is a tremendous environment and the LSU's had a great year. Uh, it'll probably it'll be the best defense Alabama has seen, but I really want to see this offense uh, have to uh, you know uh, face a lot of this media hype and uh, with the, and a lot of this uh, a lot of people saying this is the game of the century again. I think uh, this team's going to step up. But I'm really looking forward, William, uh, to seeing this team be challenged by LSU. I'm not sure they can do it, Drew. I mean, uh, I agree with the Thomas That's a good point. To, 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 to an extent that they do have an elite secondary. Now, we'll find out, um, you know, two weeks from last night just how elite they are. But th- this is not your Les Miles 2007 to 2011 
uh, defensive line up front. You know, they lost their best pass rusher and chase. Chase on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Earlier in the year, um, you know, they, they don't have those those guys that can kind of take over inside. Uh, yeah, I think Alabama's offensive line is kind of starting to come into their own and feel themselves a little bit. Um, you know, and I do agree with Thomas on this. You know, um, I think Burrow is a lot closer to Danny Etling um, than he is Jordan Jefferson. He's probably a better passer uh, than Jefferson was, but not by a long shot. But I, I just think that this is going to be the same script that you've seen um, for, what, the last eight years now. I think they're going to try and come out and, and establish their will, uh, which I don't think their offensive line is good enough, like Thomas said, especially if you have that front seven of Alabama's full attention. Um, I think they're going to try and play keep away because they know how explosive Alabama's offense is. They're going to try and, you know, milk the clock and limit uh, Alabama's offense's attempts, and I just don't think they're going to be able to do it. Um, you know, do you – do you load the box and really want to find out how good that secondary is based on what you've seen on film so far? Or if you play it honest, I can promise you right now, especially in the first half, when Devin White's not available, Alabama will run through them like shit through a goose. <laughs> well, and it's funny because, as you said earlier in the segment, uh, in our hour, that uh, some of the LSU fans were blaming Alabama and their influence on the SEC office with a targeting call on Devin White. But as I watched that game against Mississippi State, uh, LSU had the game put away, but they're not a disciplined team. They kind of play a reckless style, and they do play with a lot of energy, but they're not. They, you know that that can be used against them because I don't think they're a disciplined squad. Certainly, Devin White is a stud middle linebacker. Alabama's going to have to handle him, uh, but I think they've handled him before. Uh, and I, you know, I think they've handled guys like him and, and Greedy Williams is a talented corner, uh, and certainly Delphit is a great safety. But these are all, I think, matchups where Alabama can exploit some things. And I don't think LSU has played anybody close to the University of Alabama on offense. And we certainly know Auburn is not in that category at all. Uh, but to show yeah, let's you, let's don't forget, Drew. Let's don't forget, Drew. They needed a miracle last-second field goal attempt to beat that Auburn thing. Oh, yeah, they did. They did. And to, and to show you how good on Johnson was and how special, and I'll freely admit on this podcast to being wrong. I never thought Carrion, uh would be a great running back in the NFL. I thought he would play, but I, I thought, you know, that there, that his size would hurt him and that perhaps – he would, you know, and it's still going to be uh, to be determined about if he can physically hold up. But certainly in the first half of his rookie year with Detroit, he's been amazing. Uh, he's averaging over six yards per carry, and today uh, had his second straight hundred-yard game. Uh, I think he, I think he gained 158 yards for the Detroit Lions as they route uh, Kenyon Drake and the Miami Dolphins on the road. He's been tremendous, and that's why he was SEC Offensive Player of the Year last year. And he elevated that whole Auburn football team because right now. Auburn is not a very good football team. They did beat Ole Miss uh, in Oxford yesterday, but Ole Miss is not is has one of the most atrocious defenses you're ever going to find. They're not going to beat a good football team all year because they can't make stops. And now they don't have DK Metcalf uh, for the rest of the year. They do have AJ Brown. Uh, Jordan Tiamu is a good quarterback, but you know he's he's kind of he's kind of overrated. He's slow going through his progressions and getting rid of the football. So. But, again, I do think Alabama, they're going to have some tests. Certainly Mississippi State can rush the passer, but 
Their quarterback situation is just not good. I mean, Nick Fitzgerald, I mean, he was awful last night and just could not throw the football at all. So I do think Alabama is going to be heavily favored uh, even going into November and uh, is going to reach Atlanta pretty easily. The interesting thing is it's going to be, you know, Kentucky had to ease past Vanderbilt 14-7, to and then you saw uh, – and then Georgia and Florida, they'll – the winner of that game will still be in the driver's seat. The loser will be pretty much out of the SEC race. And uh, Dan Mullen's squad has improved a lot and beat LSU. So the cocktail party really intrigues me uh, coming up this Saturday, no question about it. But, uh, but uh, you know, Tua Tungvaloa, he's been amazing. We've talked about him. But, uh, William, I wanted to go back to Jalen Waddell. I don't think anyone was surprised that with Devontae Smith out, he moved up in that top three. Uh, and was really that those were the, that's where the majority of the targets went, along with the tight end that you said, Irv Smith, who's playing as well as any in the country. But Jalen Waddle once again showing how special he was yesterday. Yeah, and I, you know, and I think he's basically, um, you know, made his mark since his first college football game against Louisville. Um, you know, people kick away from him. Um, you know, when they do that, you you, you have the better chance than not that the, the punter's going to shank the ball trying to keep it away from him. So he's a weapon right there, whether the ball's in his hand or not. Um, you know, you saw the perfect pass, um, you know, that Tua, you know, made to him uh, yesterday. And then you saw the afterburners get, you know, kicked on, uh, you know, once once the separation took uh, took place after the catch. Um, and, you know, and I think that's kind of the, the cookie-cutter recipe that Alabama has in their wide receiver core right now is, you know, you don't have a A.J. Brown or a um, DeMarcus Lodge or one of these big, tall, slow guys that, or, or like Jennings for Tennessee that's, you know, might be a bad physical matchup. But, man, when those guys get the ball, and you, and you saw Danielson highlight it um, with Jerry Judy, how he, how he accelerates once he gets the ball in his hands. And, uh, you know, to me, I think that's a – a recipe that's that's been proven, especially this year, and I certainly wouldn't try and change it. William, I was just looking at the stats. Here's an amazing thing about this football team. Who who would you think would be, you know, uh, even though we've talked about how good he is, how amazing is it that uh, that Joshua Jacobs is is fourth on this team in carries? Well, I would say I want to see what his yards per carry are. Yeah. Um, I would certainly want to see what his, uh, you know, yards per carry versus touchdown average is. Oh, he's got the most touchdowns far and away. Look, there's no doubt he's already moved past Najee Harris. Mm -hmm. Um, You could, you know, and you know how Nick Saban is with seniority. I don't expect him to permanently move past. Um, you know, Damian Harris from, from a starting standpoint. But when you look at his production and what he brings to the table, um, not just when he's got the ball in his hand, but, but away from, from the ball, um, a special, special player. I think he's one of the, the key cogs, um, you know, in this dynamic offense that Alabama just keeps expanding. You know, one thing I noticed yesterday, Drew, was that they, they kind of went away as an offense – um, which, you know, there, there's two sides to this argument. Mm-hmm. They kind of went away a little bit from the RPO looks. Right. And, 
you know, we're, we're dropping, you know, two a back more than they have, you know, up until the Tennessee game, you know, kind of peeling the playbook back a little bit. Now, my personal opinion of that is that that creates more opportunities for him to take a hit. And, you know, we saw for the third game in a row where he limped off the field after taking a shot yesterday in the third quarter. But I, I just I just don't have any idea um, how defensive coordinators – you know, it, it's got to be the worst week of every <laughs> defensive coordinator's life. When, when they turn the film on, on on Sunday morning when they have to face this offense, and, and to figure out a way – I'm not even talking about how to stop it. How do you even slow it down? Yeah, and then what's amazing, William, is right now through the eight games, Najee Harris has 78 carries because he's gotten a lot of those in the second half when they're putting teams away. Uh, and he's averaged 6.3 yards per carry, nearly 500 rushing yards. Damian Harris, 68 carries, 435 yards, 6.4 yards per carry, five TDs. Ryan Robinson, 57 carries, 241 yards. The lowest yards per carry at 4.2, but he's not playing behind the first offensive line. One touchdown. Josh Jacobs, 55 carries, 267 yards, nearly five yards per carry, but eight touchdowns. Uh, And then both the quarterbacks have rushed for over 100 yards, even though we haven't seen Tua run very much uh, the last couple of weeks. And then the amazing thing about the wide receivers, Jerry Judy averaging an eye-popping 25.1 yards per catch. On only 31 catches, he has 777 yards and 10 touchdowns, which means he's scoring, you know, once, uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, he's, uh, you know, uh, almost, uh, you know, uh, when you when you look at when you look at Judy on a third of his catches, he's scoring a touchdown. And then Henry Ruggs has seven more touchdowns of his own, 444 yards receiving, averaging 18.5 yards for reception. Irv Smith, a tight end, William, averaging 17.5 yards per reception. Five touchdowns, 22 catches, 384 yards. And then Jalen Waddell, nearly 22 yards per catch. His 21 catches have netted 457 yards, three touchdowns. And then even though he missed the game yesterday, 21 catches, 409 yards, nearly 20 yards per catch, and three TDs for Devontae Smith. It goes back to what you're saying. I just don't know how you defend uh, this Alabama football team, this offense. But Jeremy Pruitt had some interesting comments yesterday. He said he just feels like you've got to be able to stop the run and uh, have enough physicality in the box. And then, you know, and, and then he said, and you have to be able to man up to even have a chance to slow them down. And, and you know, and I would agree with that. But I, but I also think there's a, another side to that, you know, um, approach. I mean, it's almost a pick-your-poison deal. I mean, you saw how effective Georgia's defense was in the first half of the national championship game uh, because they knew that Jalen Hurts wasn't a threat to, to throw the football down the field. Um, you know, and that proved to be true. Um, but but once, you know, that's why, you know, Tua didn't have eye-popping stats in the second half as a passer. But just his presence in the second half, with those wide receivers and the way he was distributing the football, it forced them to have to back those safeties out of the box and play straight up. And once they did it, that's when you saw Najee Harris get all those explosive runs. And I think that's the dilemma that you face with, with you know, the 2018 version of the Alabama offense. You know, pick your poison. Um, you know, Gary Danielson brought it to light yesterday. Um, 
you know, if, if you if you stack the box, they're going to throw the football over your head. If you back up, they're going to run the football underneath. And I just, you know, don't know any schematic way that you can deal with that, especially when you factor in um, what Alabama has at, at you know, O-line talent up front, um, especially those two bookend offensive tackles that they have. I mean, that, that, you know, that, that's where you typically get your pressure um, not just sacks, but but affecting the quarterback and pressures. And Jonah Williams and Jed Wills have not only not given up a sack, they haven't given up a quarterback pressure so far this season. Yeah, I mean, the the, the pass protection has without a doubt been very good. And, and uh, as you said, uh, to, uh, you know, spreading the football around to a bunch of different guys just makes this uh, team very hard to defend and, uh, it makes it fun to watch because you don't really know who all is going to get the football, but he's going to find guys, and you can't double anyone because it's going to leave guys wide open, and and that doesn't even bring it bring into account how good a receiver Josh Jacobs is, uh, and how good uh, you know uh, Damian Harris can be at the same time. I I've liked it. They they've done it a little bit. They've shown a split backfield with those two in together, and they didn't even use Jalen Hurts as a gadget guy yesterday might be saving some of that for Red Stick and LSU, uh, depending on that defense and what Dave Aranda can come up with. But uh, And, William, the good part is with this bye week coming up, Tua Tungvaloa was still moving around pretty good. He kind of tweaked something, I think, on that last pass to Henry Ruggs, but he got up and then was seen jumping up and down and running off the field in Tennessee. He said he still feels a lot better than he did against Arkansas. So certainly he's uh, he, he – He's on the road to recovery, but I think this uh, bye week will be a measurable for him in getting uh, healthy for the stretch run in November. Well, not not, not just for him, Drew. I mean, I, I think Nick Saban has got the the cookie cutter re- cookie cutter recipe for how he handles off weeks, and you know, it's it's certainly um, you know at least from the starters, maybe outside of Smitty. Um, you know, two is the one that, that probably physically needs this more than anybody. But from a mental standpoint, you know, they're they're going to, um, you know, do some conditioning work, um, you know, have a couple of good practices. And then Nick's going to give the whole team, um, you know, Friday, Saturday, uh, you know, off. They got a chance. That, you know, the ones that live, you know, a car drive away, uh, the ones that can go home and get away from football a little bit and get refreshed. And then show back up for that Sunday night meeting and focus in on, on, on the LSU Tigers. And I think that's, a, you know, something that, that, that people, you know, kind of discount and don't realize how, how beneficial that is for the whole team. It's, it's just to get, you know, 48 hours away from that daily grind of being a student and a student athlete and, you know, how much time they have to spend you know, invested in being, you know, the best college football program in the country. You know, they get to go home and maybe go watch their high school football team play a little bit, see their families, and just get, you know, you you have no idea how just 48 hours away from that daily grind can improve the mentality and the attitude of a team. Yeah, I mean, agreed. There's no doubt that it can recharge their batteries. No question about that. And, uh, uh, and, and and right now, uh, you know, they, they've got to feel pretty good about where their team is, especially considering uh, that with the uh, punting game, Mike Bernier did a good job uh, and with the two 41-yard punts. Uh, and then, of course, they didn't have to use Belovis except for kickoffs yesterday and extra points, but he did his job. And, and he's coming off of, of a pretty good performance. 
uh, no doubt about that, uh, the week before uh, against Missouri. So they've got to feel, uh, you know, that their kicking game is rounding into form. Uh, and then, once again, Josh Jacobs had an explosive kickoff return uh, and at the beginning of the Tennessee game, which really helped. And, William, I was checking the stats on that. He's averaging over 30 yards of kickoff return. That aspect of his game uh, is not being given enough credit as to how explosive he's been in giving Alabama that threat via kickoff return. No, I mean, that, that's just ridiculous. And it's, you know, one of the many reasons why I think he's uh, undervalued as a member of this, this football team. And, and you know, for, for all the people that, you know, have complained about the punter and, and you know, Bull of us missing, a, you know, a couple field goals here and there, you know, I, I think the return game, um, with, with Jalen Waddle on punt returns, and, and, and even though he's not getting a lot of opportunities to participate in that, the fact that people are kicking away from them is a huge benefit to this team. And like you said, you know what Josh Jacobs is capable of doing, um, you know, in the, in the kick return game, you know, just is is another level of just how dangerous and explosive this 2018 Alabama team truly is. It really is. It's an extremely dangerous football team, no doubt about it. And as William said, they've improved some defensively as well. The defensive line seems to getting, be getting better under Coach Cool. I think he's developing a lot of these guys. William talked about LeBron Ray. I thought LeBron Ray played very well yesterday. Because, William, to be honest with you, if you watch that first half, and I understand Tennessee's a rebuilding football team, I didn't think they missed Raekwon Davis. No, they didn't. I mean, you know, Quinn was in the backfield um, every other play. I mean, Isaiah Bugs was putting consistent pressure on the quarterback. Um, you know, LeBron Ray, you know, flashed. You know, and they're getting, you know, Drew, they're getting quality, you know, depth and I, what I would call mop-up reps from a guy that, that a lot of Alabama fans had written off over two years ago and Johnny Dwight. You know, if you go back and watch the first snap, of that Tennessee game, Johnny Dwight was in there. The one he was the one starting for Raquan Davis because they were in their their base defense. So, you know, it's it's that that to me is is what makes watching a Nick Saban football team on an annual basis so much fun. It's yeah, you, you get the eye candy in the first half from from Tua and those wide receivers. Um, you know, you get to watch Quinn and Williams and Isaiah Bugs tool people out. Um, you know, Patrick Sertain, um, you know, play like a three-year veteran at, at that corner spot as a true freshman. Let's don't forget that a lot of these so-called experts thought that uh, George's Tyson Campbell was the better corner prospect. Whoops. Uh, which that's, that's long since been disproven. But, you know, even the way that they chose to handle um, the, the quarterback reps yesterday, um, you know, and I thought they waited a little bit later than they should have to get two off the field. But, you know, you, you come in and, and, you know, Mac Jones for a third-team quarterback, go, go find me somewhere else in the country where the third-team quarterback has gotten as many game reps this season as Mac Jones has. And that, that's only going to benefit the team going forward. I mean, it's it's not inconceivable that, you know, you, you lose your first two quarterbacks. Hell, I played on a – a team at Alabama where we lost our first two quarterbacks. And, and the third-team quarterback was a junior college transfer named Cotus Nunley that supposedly transferred from a junior college and he never took a rep there. So I just really admire and have so much respect for 
to me, this is the, the, the best year that Nick Saban has really executed his roster management and how he's playing these people. Um, you know, maybe if it was up to me and nobody's paying me $7 million to make these calls, maybe the starters on both sides of the line of scrimmage get strung out to dry a little bit too late in the games. But, you know, when, when you've got uh, your, your second and third team defensive and offensive line that's getting basically the whole fourth quarter, or at least eight minutes in every game, that, that's just going to make you a much better team down the road and, and next year in the following season. Yeah, it really is. And then I'm going to bring in Thomas one final time as we're wrapping up this edition of BAM's Radio here on this Sunday. And, and Thomas William making some, uh, some great points about uh, the, the, the development of this Alabama football team under Nick Saban and uh, under this uh, reconfigured coaching staff. But certainly uh, they're, they're heading into the bye week playing with a lot of confidence and uh, trying to, you know, get some guys that are a little banged up healthy. But uh, they've got, you got to feel pretty good uh, if you're Alabama right now where you are. And, uh, and with uh, this, uh, and, and like, as William said, with this team and, uh, and some of the development of some, of some key guys that uh, really, uh, that, uh, as William said, that there's been some people that were complaining about certain aspects. But that, that's, what, that's the amazing part of Nick Saban's football team. So they can complain a little bit, but he doesn't lay eggs like Urban Meyer every year. Oh, if, if there's one foil that you needed to see, it's Alabama's unranked opponent winning streak and Urban Meyer's categorical refusal to get his team to play on an even keel. You know, the, the only national championship that Urban Meyer won at Ohio State, that team, if you actually look at who's now in the NFL, was ridiculously talented. So, oh. so you know, nah. This is an, I've said, I'll just once more for emphasis, Drew, this is another Nick Saban Alabama team. If you, if you wanted to beat Bama, you generally want to get them early. Well, it's no longer early. That window is closing. And one of the things that I, I've, I read a bunch of stuff on the Internet, and a lot of Alabama fans, as Alabama's heading into the bye week and then to Baton Rouge, have taken up this clarion call of Alabama's not invulnerable. And I, I think the, that whole line of reasoning just blows my mind. It reads like, because it's a team sport, Alabama can lose. Well, yes, but the difference with this football team that we've seen through the first eight weeks, and, you know, I understand Alabama hasn't played anybody yet, Paul, and let's call the radio shows, and heck, it gets you more money, Drew, so you must love it. But, uh, you know, the difference with this Alabama football team thus far is that what used to be able to beat Alabama was – a truly elite quarterback outplaying the game manager quarterback that Alabama had and being able to just outright beat the Alabama defense. See Deshaun Watson, see Johnny Manziel, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the, this team is different in that this, at least thus far, Tua Tonga Vilo and that offense will go shot for shot with you. And that sort of difference is very fascinating and it's a very different thing to experience and it really changes the conditions that your team needs to fulfill to have a good shot against Alabama. 
it's almost like you take what used to work to beat Alabama and turn it up to 11. And when you look out on the college football landscape, the only teams now that you have to feel like have a shot against this Alabama team are the Clemson Tigers. Unsurprisingly, Trevor Lawrence is turning into a phenom right before our eyes, even though he looked way too small for the moment early in College Station. And the Oklahoma Sooners, because I think Kyler Murray and that offense can keep up with Alabama. Everybody else, there's too, there's too much inconsistency. And that is different, but that's okay. Alabama's in a good spot. It is tough to play eight straight football games, and I expect to see Alabama continue to hit their stride. And, you know, enjoy the ride. This is, Tua Tonga-Vailoa is so good statistically that he's breaking statistical models. Like, that, that it, it doesn't, the math barely makes sense to me. Just enjoy it. You know, I, I, I feel like I sound like a broken record because I say the same thing whenever you call me into the conversation, Drew. But, you know, if I can get through to one person that listens to the show, that's good for me. You know what I mean? Well, and I'm going to wrap it up here. And we thank William Barger and Thomas Watts for joining us. But I'm going to say this. Whatever crack or whatever has gotten under Desmond Howard's skin, he needs to, you know, <laughs> do some research and open his eyes what he said Saturday about he 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 wouldn't be surprised if Tua Tungvaloa's knee gave out anytime in the in the near future. I mean, is ridiculous. And then continuing his narrative of well, Tua Tungvaloa hadn't shown me anything. Well, uh, you know, I have a funny feeling if he played in the Big Ten or if he played for the vaunted Michigan Wolverines that uh, Desmond Howard would have a completely different take. He sounds like a clown saying stuff like that. And I'll say this: I hope and pray. Alabama gets a shot at khaki pants Jim Harbaugh. They will beat the brakes <laughs> off of the Michigan Wolverines. They'll have to turn the scoreboard off, and Desmond will have to go to the bathroom for half the game because he's going to be scarred for life because they don't have a chance. I was go ahead and say that. Michigan would be dominated by Alabama. Their defense can play well in a, in a fist fight in a box, but Alabama can play any kind of football you want to play, and they would riddle that Michigan defense. I don't care what anybody says. Michigan State a joke. I mean, right now compared to Alabama, this is a team you know that lost to Northwestern. They're not very good. I mean, Michigan could have easily lost to Northwestern. They can't score with Alabama. They act like scoring 21 points is scoring 40. Give me a break. Play real football. When Alabama, if they have a month to prepare for Michigan, Harbaugh might as well just go into hibernation because they're going to get embarrassed. I hope they keep winning. I hope they keep talking because when Alabama plays them, it won't be pretty. It will be a massacre. You can go ahead and write that down. If Tua Tungvaloa is healthy, they have no chance. That's all I'm saying because Alabama's better at every position than the Michigan Wolverines offensively. And then defensively, certainly Michigan's got some great athletes and Rashawn Gary and Devin Bush and some of the other guys uh, in their front seven. But Alabama's not going to be intimidated by those guys at all. And I don't think they could, they've seen a passing game like they're going to see from the University of Alabama. And they, they get the brakes beat off of them. But I'm just telling, you know, Desmond Howard, who I think is one of the great college players I've ever seen, had a, had a solid pro career. Hey, man, let your bias go. Know what you're looking at and educate yourself because you're not sounding very smart, my friend. Don't go to the Joey Galloway school. He learned the hard way, but he's finally coming around. And just kind of uh, just wake up a little bit, my friend. But that's going to that's gonna be it for this edition of BAMS Radio. We'll come to you next Sunday and give you an – you know, we'll try to go 
more in-depth in this Alabama-LSU matchup that's going to decide the SEC West uh, and decide if uh, the Alabama is going to have a chance to cruise into the playoff, in my opinion, undefeated. But it's going to be a hype matchup. William Redfish Barger will be with us, Thomas Watts, and we will delve you know, into that matchup and probably give some position grades going into uh, the next half of the season, this net last part of the regular season after Alabama's coming out of their bye. We appreciate you for listening to BAMS Radio. I'm Drew DeArmond for Thomas Watts, for William Redfish Barger. Good night and roll tide.